This is a Holy Baptist Church podcast, bringing you into a community in which everyone is welcome, lives are changing, and Jesus is King. Thanks for listening with us today. We would invite you to subscribe so you can keep up to date with us. But for now, we pray you enjoy listening for what God has in store for you in this episode, and that it helps change your life for the better, in Jesus' name. Enjoy. So, Greatest Conspiracy. We, I'm really excited about this series. It's a four-part series over the whole of February, and we're really looking at the story of Christianity. What it, so I think for, for too many people, Christianity can go, well, if I go to church and I believe in Jesus and I go to heaven, that's pretty much it. And you know, there's so much more to understanding not only what Christi- the Christian faith is about, but actually the way it sees and interprets the world around us. And we looked at different things. Week one, we looked at the fact that God created everything. Week two, we looked at the fact that although God made everything amazing and he thought it was great and good and thus he called us very good, something went wrong. Something we called the fall and sin entered our world. And if you haven't seen any of these, you can catch up on our YouTube uh, channel. Also, if you've got the internet, you can access some extra videos. So one came out the other week where I interviewed a guy called Jason, who was a leader of Chilton Church. Uh, inside the M25, and he talks about the reality of, of a spiritual realm. Are there spiritual beings? Are there angels and demons and devil and God and stuff like that? So that's really, that's a really great um, uh, one to look at. Um, and then this week, probably towards the end of the week, because I've still got to put it together, I interviewed two Baptist ministers about what we call the end times. This idea that history is going somewhere and Jesus is going to return. And there's two guys that have very different views and understandings uh, of what the Bible says about the end times. So that'll come out later this week and I will email you a link. If you don't get that link, just go to our YouTube channel um, later on. And then next week, Daz, you're preaching next week. Very interesting subject. What, what The question is kind of what happens what happens there? Where are we? Where are we heading? Well, what you know, this idea of life after death. So it's going to be a very interesting uh, service next week. But I want you to just try and use your imagination. You can obviously see this isn't quite normal for a Sunday morning. Uh, usually, I've got a lectern here. We've got some props here, and later we're going to be sharing communion uh, together. But I want you to just picture the scene. I want to pick, see. I want you to look back 2,000 years ago to a place called Jerusalem, which you've probably heard of. You may have seen pictures in the news. And I want you to imagine a city teeming with life, full to the brim of people. People have come from all over to celebrate the Passover festival. It's a time for friends and family to come together to share food, to eat, to drink, and to celebrate when God's intervened in a special way in their history. It's a time when really the nation, the, the Israelite people became just, instead of just a family, they became a nation. And Jesus was outside the city at the time, and he sent in two of his disciples, Peter and John, into the city to pre- make preparations for the Passover meal. But it turned out Jesus had already made some preparations. He told Peter and John to go into the city and to look for a guy with water, carrying water, which would have been pretty unusual because really that was a woman's job to go around and collect the water uh, in those days. So they had to look, at, look for this guy carrying water to follow him into the house, then ask to see the room where they can make preparations 
for the Passover meal. It was going to be an upper room. It's going to be all furnished and all ready for them to come along and do their preparations for this Passover meal. And it's all a bit cloak and dagger, really, because by this time in Jesus's ministry, things were getting a little bit tense. And the Jewish authorities were looking for an opportunity in secret to arrest Jesus. If they tried to do it with all the crowds around, it would have caused a whole riot. It's like, can we find Jesus when he's caught unawares? So this all had to be done in secret. So Peter and John go in the city to find the guy, to find the upper room, and they get all the preparations ready for the Passover meal. And what you kind of imagine the scene is this place with lots of couches where they could recline at low tables. There would have been all those nice foods that you'd have at parties, party rings and uh, cheese on sticks. Well, maybe not that sort of stuff, but sort of more Mediterranean version uh, of that. And this was a time when every generation of Jews, every single year, would celebrate the Passover meal. They still do it now. They still do it now. Every year they come together as families and friends and celebrate the Passover meal. And the meal is, is, is full of symbolism. And the symbolism is there to tell the story of what Jesus did many thousands of years ago when he rescued the nation of Israel from uh, Egypt. There was wine there. There was roast lamb. There's bitter herbs, salt water. There's an apple mixture called charaset. I don't know if I'm pronouncing it correctly. A hard-boiled egg. And then, quite importantly, this type of bread here is called a matzah, which is it's horrible stuff. But um, it's a bit like a cream cracker, I guess. But it's unleavened. It doesn't have any yeast in it, which is why it's completely flat. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that uh, later. And the meal is structured around four cups of wine. And there's not actually four cups. It's four cup, one cup filled four times, but I have four cups to aid the symbolism. And I'm going to try and do the slide because... Yay! Those are the four cups uh, there. We've got the cup of sanctification, the cup of deliverance, the cup of redemption, and the cup of raise. I'm going to pick up a little bit on, uh, on that in a moment, but we're getting ahead of ourselves. We need to backtrack a little bit. Last week, we left the story where Adam and Eve, the first humans, had their relationship with God had broken down through choices they had made. God had given them a freedom of choice, and they had made the wrong choice. And this meant they could no longer be in the Garden of Eden. And this relationship with one another, this relationship with creation, this relationship with God was broken down. The book of Genesis, which is the first book in the Bible, plots in the first half the story of the downfall, the downward spiral of humanity getting worse and worse and worse. And then about the midpoint in chapter 12 of Genesis, God meets a guy called Abraham, or later Abraham. And he basically says to him, I'm going to make a covenant with you. Now, a covenant, it's not a contract. It's more than that. It's a relationship. It's promises about two parties working together. He says, I want to make a covenant with you. Where I'm going to be your God, and you are going to be my people. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to bless you. You're going to prosper. You're going to grow into a great nation. And you are going to follow my ways. You're going to be a shining light for the entire world, what it means to be a follower of God. So the latter half of Genesis, we see the story of Abraham's family, his descendants grow, starting to grow into this nation that they're going to become. And at the end of Genesis, you've got this guy called Joseph. 
And these Technicolor dream coats you might have heard of in the Andrew Lloyd Webber um, musical, the Technicolor bit's not in there, but he did have a quick, pretty cool coat, which got himself in a lot of trouble. And at the end, you find him, Joseph, second in charge of the whole of Egypt, which is like the superpower of the time. And the whole family moved to live with Joseph. And it seems like a really great ending for the story, but actually the story is only just beginning. And Joseph says this at the end. He says, he gives this reminder that God will come to their aid and take them to a promised land, a land to call their own. The second book in the Bible is called Exodus. And it's about 500 years between the end of Genesis and Exodus. And in those 500 years, the Israelites really prosper. They grow in Egypt. But the Egyptians get really quite scared of that. They think this is going to be a real threat to them. What if they decide to take over? So they enslaved all these Israelites. They set them to work making bricks and building their cities. And it gets worse and worse and worse. And they get more and more, life gets more and more bitter for them. But yet they still grow. And it gets to the point where the Egyptians decide they're going to kill every single boy that is born. And in the midst of that, there's a little baby boy called Moses who was born uh, to a Hebrew family. And actually, we, I'm going to encourage you to go and read it because I was going to be here explaining the whole story. But Moses is raised by Pharaoh's daughter, but he still recognizes his Hebrew roots. There's a real conflict there. In the end, he kills an Egyptian slave driver. And in fear for his life, he runs away from Egypt and goes to becomes like a shepherd in the middle of nowhere. But God had not given up on Moses and he hadn't given up on his people. It says in the Bible that God heard the cries of these Israelite slaves and decides to put into motion a rescue plan. Now, these four cups we have here are based on promises that God made to Moses because God sent Moses back into Egypt to rescue the Israelites from slavery. And really God says, look, firstly, I will bring you out from under the burden of the Egyptians. That's my first promise. The second promise is I will deliver you from slavery to them. Third one, I will redeem you I, with an outstretched arm. I will pay the, pay the price in order to set you free. And then lastly, I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God. It's God repeating those promises, that covenant that he'd made with Abraham all those years ago. So we come back to Jesus and his disciples, his friends, at his Passover meal, celebrating, remembering this story of Passover. And Jesus says these words, and these are the words that are recorded in Luke's gospel, Luke's story of Jesus. He says, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. So you can imagine there's already a bit of a somber mood amongst these people. It should be a celebration, but I'm guessing there's a little bit of tension, a little bit of worry here, made worse by the fact that one of Jesus' disciples had betrayed Jesus to the Jewish authority, and they were about to arrest him. And Jesus points towards this. He knows this is going to happen. He knows that he's going to suffer. In fact, Jesus is going to not just suffer, he's going to die in the most horrific way, just the next day. But Jesus takes the second cup 
What we have is called the cup of deliverance. And he shares it amongst his friends. And then they would have retold the Passover story as they share the Passover meal to remind themselves of what God had done. And when Moses goes into Egypt, he goes to the Pharaoh and says, let, my pe- let God's people go. Let the Israelites go. And what does Pharaoh say? Not a chance. It's not happening. No. So, Jesus, so God sends plagues, 10 plagues. And every time they've had a plague, Moses goes back to Pharaoh and says, are you going to let the people go now? And Pharaoh says, no. And in the, in the Passover meal, they remember that. They take a they drop for every one of the plagues, blood, frogs. Lice, flies, livestock, boils, hail, locusts, darkness, and then the worst one of all, the death of the firstborn. And they remember not only the fact that God sent these plagues to rescue him, but actually the sacrifice that was taken upon the people of Israel, but also the Egyptians as well, in order that they might be set free. So the final plague, the death of the firstborn, was the worst one of all. And God had told Moses that at midnight an angel would go out amongst the whole of Egypt and would kill every firstborn son. But there was a way that the nation of Israel could avoid this death sentence. And what they had to do was sacrifice a lamb, a pure, spotless lamb without any blemish, and take that blood and just put it on the doorway of their house, the sides and the top. And when the angel of death came along, he would see that blood, that blood of that lamb, and would pass over the house. That's where they get the name, the Passover festival from the angel death passed over and that's what happened the nation of israel everywhere where they had put that blood over the door every household every family had taken that lamb and eaten its sacrifice and put the blood on the doors then the angel death passed over unfortunately that could not be said for the egyptians and by this time the pharaoh had had enough he ran through the streets frantically looking for moses go he yells and take all the israelites with you so Moses sent a word to his lights. The time has come, he told him. Grab your bags and get ready to, go, to leave at once. Do not wait for your bread to rise. Just go. And the Israelites left Egypt with all they could, could carry. And it's at this point that Jesus took the bread, the matzah, the unleavened bread, the bread without lists, the bread that symbolizes the fact that they were in slavery, The bread that symbolizes the fact that they had to rush off and just grab whatever they could. It's the bread that symbolizes escape. It symbolizes the wilderness they were going to spend the next 40 years wandering around in. But it's also a symbol of freedom. No longer enslaved by the Egyptians. And Jesus takes the bread, but here he departs from the scripts of the Passover meal. He takes the bread, he gave thanks, and he broke it. And he gave it to them, to his disciples, to his friends, saying, this is my body given for you. Do this 
in remembrance of me. And then he takes the third cup of wine, the cup of redemption, that promise that God will redeem you, I will redeem you with my outstretched arm. That God would pay the price, that pure spotless lamb, in order for them to be rescued. And Jesus took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant, that new promise, that new agreement, that new relationship in my blood, which is poured out for you. So the old Passover was based on the old covenant, that agreement made with Moses. But it failed. Well, it's not the covenant that failed. It was us that failed time and time again. We are unable to complete our promises, the requirements, those things required of us to keep that covenant together. God had been faithful to his people, but time and time his people were unfaithful to him, grasping for autonomy and freedom just as Adam and Eve did in that story in Genesis. But Jesus was instituting something new here, a new covenant, a new agreement between humanity and God where Jesus takes not only the place of God, but the place of humanity as well. Jesus, who was without sin, Jesus, who would not fail like humanity had done time and time again, a new covenant that would not fail like the old one did. It's a covenant that incorporates us as well. Where the yoke of slavery has been removed from our shoulders. Well, we have been rescued, not from Egyptians, but way the sin in our life, those, that muck and that mess that plagues our life, that disease that just cripples us in life, the way it weighs down on us, entangles us, stifles us, stops us being who God has designed us to be. Jesus removes that yoke. And the price has been paid. And this is where Jesus is drawing a parallel here, saying You've, we're celebrating the Passover meal, but actually it's not the Passover lamb that saves you. It's me. Jesus is the lamb of God. The writer of Hebrews sums it up in this way. But now Jesus... Our high priest has been given a ministry that's far superior to the old priesthood. For he is the one who mediates for us a far better covenant with God, based on better promises. If the first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no need for a second covenant to replace it. But when God found fault with the people, he said, The day is coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel. And Judah. These, by the way, these bits in the speech marks are taken from the prophet Jeremiah, who hundreds of years before Jesus predicts this time, prophesies this time in the future when this new covenant will come. I'll make a new covenant with the people of Israel and Judah. This covenant will not be like the one I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and I led them out of the land of Egypt because they did not remain faithful to my covenants. So I turned my back on them, says the Lord. But this, this is the new covenant I will make 
with the people of Israel on that day, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. And they will not need to teach their neighbours, nor will they need to teach their relatives, saying, who should know the Lord? For everyone from the least to the greatest will know me already. And I will forgive their wickedness, and I will never again remember their sins. And when God speaks of a new covenant, it means he has made the first one obsolete. It's now out of date and will soon disappear. We talked about sin last week. We talked about the consequences of sin that affects not just our relationship, but the whole of creation. Every, the creation is groaning in pain because of the sin that has pervaded our worlds. And yet through Jesus' death and blood, Jesus, the Passover lamb, the consequences of sin, death, passes over us and we are left untouched. Right at the beginning of John's gospel, John's story of um, Jesus' ministry, is another guy called John the Baptist who was there to herald the coming of Jesus, to tell the nation of Israel, look, the Messiah, the one you've been waiting for, the one who's going to rescue us is going to come. And when John the Baptist sees Jesus, he says these words, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. Death passes over us. We receive forgiveness for anything we have done, anything we are currently doing, and anything we will do. We are cleansed of all the muck and the mess in our lives so that we become before our God pure and spotless. We have a new identity, not as sinners, but as children of God, where God transforms our hearts and our minds, changing us from the inside out, not through rules and regulations, but through the indwelling of his Spirit within us. That anyone that calls on the name of Jesus, anyone who makes him Lord of their lives, receives that gift of God's Spirit within them, changing them from the inside. And that just as sin dies with Jesus, and then Jesus is raised into a new life, the resurrection, so too are we when we follow Jesus. We die to our old life. We die to that sin and that mess, and we're raised into a new life, full of God's Spirit and following Jesus. And this is why baptism is so important for anyone who's a follower of Jesus because it's, come, it's associating yourself with Jesus. It's dying to your old life and being raised into a new one, saying, I'm no longer who I was. I'm a new creation. And Jesus is my Lord and my Savior. And on Easter Sunday, we have got baptisms coming up. And if you would like to know more about baptisms, if you'd like to take maybe uh, be baptized on Easter Sunday, do come and talk to me. Because the pool will be full, I hope. I haven't checked with you, Jim, but hopefully you'll be able to arrange that, Jim and Graham. Thank you. See, this is an offer open to all. This is a choice that you are free to make 
or reject is up to you. God never forces himself on anyone. But he stands there with arms open wide, so in love with you, and just saying, come to me. I accept you, I love you, and I welcome you. And I can rescue you for the consequences of sin and death. It's not something we deserve. It's not something we've earned. But it's offered free to all that come to Jesus. See, after Jesus had um, been resurrected, he had ascended into heaven. And on the day of Pentecost, the group of Jesus' followers were in a room praying. And so the Holy Spirit came upon them. And they went out into into Jerusalem, another festival, the festival of Pentecost. And they preached the good news of Jesus. And Peter there, who denied Jesus, preaches the good news of Jesus. And at the end, the people are listening, saying, how can we be saved? How can we be saved? How can we be rescued? And he said, it's simple. Repent. Repent basically means to turn around. There's God. I'm walking the wrong way. I'm going to turn around and walk back towards God. Repent. Be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And receive the gift. Of the Holy Spirit. It's as simple as that and not simple at all but Jesus has made it simple for us. It's a choice that we can freely make. We're going to spend some time reflecting, we're going to spend some time communion and I'm going to ask you that question. If there's any of you who want to make that commitment, who want to repent, turn towards God, to ask for forgiveness of their sins and receive the Holy Spirit, I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond to that a little bit later uh, in the service. There are going to be some questions that come up. It's just going to give you just an opportunity to slow down. Then the band are going to come up and um, present a song to us. And then we're going to go into communion, which is going to be a little bit shorter because I haven't got to do the whole explanation. I've done that bit. But let's spend some time just reflecting on these questions. Are you aware of how sin has enslaved you and held you back? Do you see Jesus as a good moral teacher or the one who rescues you from slavery to sin? Do you need rescuing or are you happy with how you are? today's episode of holy baptist church podcast we hope it's prompted you to want to follow jesus hopefully a lot but even just a little bit more closely if you have any questions about what you've heard in today's episode or you want to know more about what it means to follow jesus you can email us gotquestions at holybaptist.org.uk we'd love to hear from you it would really make our day if you want to hear more from us just a reminder you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and you can download the holy baptist church app from the apple app store or google play to hear it as well 
simply search Holy Baptist Church. Thank you again for listening to Holy Baptist Church podcast. We pray God will bless you and we'll see you next time.